Welcome to A Pie with Shawnee B coming to you from Dublin, my hometown, on a beautifully wet, dreary, grey summer's afternoon. I'm in the home of a recent friend of mine, Matthew Toman. There's very few people who can go from boom to bust by the time they're 30. He's done that. He's come out the other end with a whole system and program and his desire to share his experience and help other people which is amazing and we're going to hear a little bit about that he's mainly known as one of ireland's renowned up-and-coming producers runs a production company called bank house productions he makes he seems to be making movies every time i see him different ones i don't know how he does that because i've only made one in my whole career how are you sir hi sean thanks for we finally got this off the ground we've been trying to do this for about three months <laughs> i know thanks for inviting me on yeah <laughs> thank you the best way, I think, of putting what you've done in context is to actually go chronologically through how you got to the point where you left school at 16, were making loads of money, and then hit the wall when you were 30. And then that, I think, frames what has come afterwards and why you've done it. Does that seem a good way to do it? Yeah, I think it probably is the best way. No, I grew up in Lurgan in County Armagh, and I left school at 16. I didn't particularly enjoy school. I've actually got dyslexia, so I kind of struggled, and I tried to... Um, when did you find out you had dyslexia? Well, I always knew there was something wrong when it came to reading and like if whenever I was reading out loud it sounded like I was having a stroke. My mom and dad they were amazing and they sort of gave me the freedom to not do whatever I wanted but to a certain degree I have no brothers and sisters so okay. um, they're, they're very you know much... it's an amazing thing about this show the amount of only children that I seem really? to be yeah it's just yeah. astonishing yeah and it's got to be something to do with the fact that you're around adult conversations from an early age when I was young, if I wanted to talk to somebody, play with someone, make friends while I was on holidays with my parents, I had to physically walk up to somebody and say, yeah. hi, will you play with me? That confidence that you would have had to have had whenever you were younger is still not into yourself now, whenever you're in your late 20s, 30s, 40s. I didn't get the full only child experience. My dad has a twin brother and he married my Auntie Louise, who was my mum's sister. Wow. So two sisters married two twins. Yeah. And um, my Auntie Louise and Pete had two children called Rachel and Jonathan. Okay. So my, whenever my mum and dad went back to work and my Auntie Louise didn't work, so me, Jonathan and Rachel got minded together. So we had all the same aunties and uncles and grannies right. and grandas on both sides. Um, but we never had the fights because I went home at, you know, four or five o'clock okay. and, and, and that was it. But so we're all really close. Basically. Were you creative to a kid? My family are so musical. Like my dad oh. and Pete have been in a band since they were young. And my cousin Jonathan and Rachel are just so talented mm. when it comes to music. Like so talented. My mm. dad makes banjos and everything at the minute. Like I sell my dad's banjos. I was okay. much more business orientated. Yeah. Like whenever I was 13, I used to get people to drive their cars into my mom and dad's driveway. And I washed the cars for like a pound or two pounds. Right. I can't even remember how much it was. Yeah. I came down and said to my dad, we're taking the, the lawnmower because I'm going to cut someone's grass for like 10 quid and I recruited my friends to go and do it as well. Yeah. I can remember sitting in my granny's house whenever I was like 15 and I saw like in the paper a house for sale for like 47,000 and I was saying to my dad, this you should buy this because that phase was just like 38,000 and this one has gone up and now there's another one that, you know, these are going to go up. And yeah. I just sort of got all that. I was always really good at maths. Whenever it came to businesses, I was creative, yeah. You know, me and my best friend, Raymond, we got our national... In the North, you get your national insurance numbers just before your 16th birthday. So right. you get them in your... So we had just were leaving school at the time and we both got them around the same week. And I said, come on, let's go get jobs. So we went into the Tampa agency and, and gave our date of birth a year before and literally started in Moy Park Chicken Factory that night at five o'clock. His mom worked in Moy Park, right? right? So she sent him out to school that morning. She'd done the evening shift from four to twelve. We ended up arriving at five and we ended she up... She had no uh, idea you were even looking no idea. She looked and said, what the hell are you doing here? And she loved it and laughed. She's yeah. crazy. And we came home and her 
our skin smelled like chicken. chicken. No, I, I don't eat chicken now anyway, but yeah. like I at chicken after that, that was okay. It's whenever I worked in a coleslaw factory for a while, I didn't eat coleslaw. Yeah. I ended up leaving the chicken factory and going to the coleslaw factory. That was my first massive shock of my life because I was thinking, I can't remember what my hourly rate was, but say it was like four quid or something at the mm. time. That was the first time that I experienced tax. So I was thinking, where the hell did my money go? Yeah. I realized that I was working a lot of hours in a chicken factory and not getting a lot of money. Yeah. So I was thinking, right, what, what do I need to do next? So what I've been able to do quite well throughout my years is like, right, what do I not like? Let's leave it and try something else. I could move on quite quickly. I ended up getting a car and then I'd I'd done um, Chinese delivery. Um, I worked in a clothes shop for a while, selling clothes. And and then I worked in a cold saw factory. I went to Lisburn, which nobody else was going to. And I studied refrigeration. Um, refrigeration. My dad just said to me one day, you get a trade, refrigeration is good money. I thought, okay. Basically, I I owe that to my family. You know, everybody sort of does. But I ended up getting put into the contracts department. I had just been given a van and a pay rise and a phone and then was doing insane hours for like six weeks in a row. And I can remember getting my paycheck and it was a thousand quid home with me at just 19, turned 19. And I was like, oh my God. But by the time I'd got that pay slip, I'd already done another week. So I started adding up. I was like, oh my God, I've got another thousand pound coming on Tuesday, you know? And then we were on that job for six weeks. I then had six and a half thousand or something pretty much saved up because I didn't have time to spend it. So I said to my dad, I think I might buy a house. And he said, "Um, okay, well, let's go look for one. So I went up the town and the guy said, um, and I would think it was the time, it was just before the boom, so it was 60,000 or 65. And he said, well, you can put down 5,000 deposit. I was like, right, okay. So I had the apartment then within six weeks, you know, right. and, and that was it. My dad then started kitting it out, putting out floors, you know, doing all that. And that, that was the first property. And that was like, right, okay, now I can do this. So refrigeration was giving me finances to now yeah. branch into different things so that's yeah. why i end up staying that job for so yeah, long yeah. and to be honest with you I, I lived in australia and i traveled around new zealand and it was a great trade to have yeah and really well paid did you go out partying did you play massively yeah, yeah massively right. yeah that six week period that i end up working around the clock had been the only time that i w- wasn't really and i got a chance to sort of shift away from a group of friends that i got caught up in reconnected with my old best friend Remo and he bought a house about six months after me I bought a couple of houses through that period but I was buying one and I said to my dad there was a financial advisor and he gave advice people it was 250 quid so I rang my dad and I said yeah I've got an appointment with this financial advisor and he said all right okay how much is that and I said 250 quid and he said Matthew you haven't listened to anybody since you were four why are you now going to pay someone to advise you? He said, just yeah. go with your instincts, go with your gut, whatever's going, Good. you're doing whatever's right at the minute, so just go with it. But whenever my dad then said, look, I don't think this is good. Then I really took him serious and I was like, right, okay. Where my mom, she was always just a bit more nervous about like thinking, oh God, what if it doesn't work out? Yeah. Or what, you know, cause she was worried about me and all my mom's fears essentially came to reality. Like houses were rocketing through the roof. It was so It was weird. the property boom here. They were, it was were, the money was boom. freely available as well. Like the, the amount of money that I was given was scandalous. You know, I could have bought a house on credit cards if I wanted. Yeah, now, yeah. I didn't spend much money on credit cards, but I was getting my credit limit put up to 30,000. Like that, whenever you think back, that is yeah. insane for like a 22, 23 year old. Yeah convertible car and you know my van from work and I went on holidays I went traveling I enjoyed everything as well I was setting out to be I want to be a millionaire before I'm 30 you know and I think that was kind of an ego thing no I said it like to whoever I was with because it was was caught up in that whole crappy boom you know and I think you like yourself back then looking back did I like myself um, yeah, no, 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 I wasn't. Okay. I you wasn't a bit of a dick, but I was ambitious. I liked the fact yeah, that I, I took yeah. a risk yeah. and I was ambitious. You were such a sort of, person. Oh yeah, like I never shafted anyone. Like even yeah. whenever, whenever it finally came to it, and I was like, look, 
you have to move out of the house, you know, where, where they're going back to the banks. That process takes about six months to a year. I just said, stop, don't pay me anymore. You know, live in the house for a year rent free and just do whatever you want. I don't care. My best mate, Remo, was going through the same thing. So we were very much on the, but, and we got like different jobs. We, he was an electrician and I said, let's, let's start a, you know, a business putting in alarms. He was like, right, let's go. And the both of us ended up doing that for a while. So, I mean, we always were like very salesy. So we're always quite nice. You know what I mean? And we so never. So just go back to those things. Like, cause a, a lot of people, the idea of setting up a business, you have to do the paperwork to set up the business. You got to register the business. Mm. You got to do. Whenever we, were, whenever we were younger, we didn't really, we didn't set up the business okay. sort of, we, we, did, we didn't even know what we were doing, to right. be honest with you. We went and started with a flyer, you know, yeah. we were like, what are we going to call this place? Yeah. That was young, you know, so yeah. we didn't really know. And then, um, then as it's we started to find out. the uh, lawnmower and car oh, washing. Oh, big, big thing, you know, you know? you're like winging it and just going How through it, but you learn so much. How important in all this? Oh my God, he's my best mate. We both left and went traveling around Australia together as well. Yeah. And, you know, I was up with him at the weekend. Um, it was his wife's 40th birthday um, and he's now got two kids and he's now got like yeah. happy as Laurie, you know. Right. And I, I sometimes look and go, God, it looks so calm sometimes, I think. Because my being a film producer and traveling around yeah. the world making movies... It can be stressful at times, yeah, you know, yeah. which I'm sure but his, I'm sure his life is stressful. Wishing you were doing each other's, you know, because I'm sure he looks at minute, you going, yeah. traveling around in first class or business he, class. He, he probably looks at it for a minute and says, yeah, yeah and then he's like, no, nah, I'm happy here because yeah. he, he plays hurling and he loves it, his family and or everything to him. So, I mean, having Remo going through all that same thing, we bought our houses at the same time. His houses are near paid off now. Mine are gone. But I mean, I, I wouldn't change a single thing, though. I've, I've, you had this symbiotic friendship and trust, I guess, with the guy who was prepared to just, if you had an idea or he had an idea, but yeah, let's fucking do that. Yeah, we like, just done yeah, it, that, you know. And you want to, he, he, we, we still do, though. I run ideas by yeah. him and he runs ideas by me and our lives will always be parallel, you know, in yeah. some, some respect. You probably both grounded each other. Yeah, we did. We grounded each other and we, he would tell me to catch myself on yeah. quite quickly, you know. Okay, so now you're, you're moving into your early 20s. Things are taking off right you've got houses you've got money you've got you're happy yeah I'm, you're I'm, happy. You've, t- you've gone around australia i've traveled around what did you australia, think of australia when you got there? i loved it like yeah, sydney right. was one of my favorite um, cities too. you're either sydney or melbourne and i think whatever city city you go to first i don't know which one did you go to Beatles, first? rolling stones it's uh, sydney melbourne hong kong singapore there's a similar yeah. thing goes on melbourne for me was just like manchester it's not the beaches, not the brightness, the, the frivolity, the fun, the blue yeah. skies, the you know the water that Sydney yeah. has, and Sydney's just one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Yeah, aspect-wise. Yeah. But did you do the traveling? It feels like you did the traveling after you'd made the money. No, right? the houses were still Took rented out at that time, and were still going away. And then whenever I came back, I sort of thought, oh my god, I've missed this boom. I'd invested in a couple of different things and there was a, I was never really stuck for cash and I didn't class myself as an entrepreneur or a property developer or anything like that. I just sort of thought, oh my God, I want freedom. to do that. Yeah. yeah, freedom. I think we never wanted to be held down. It was the freedom. Mm. Wanted to work for ourselves, wanted to travel, wanted to just really experience everything that we could. We went to experience Thailand, Malaysia, you know, and then whenever I came back, I came back and moved into Lurgan and, you know, everything was closing Smaller. again at one o'clock. I can't do this. So I moved to Belfast then. That was good for a point. And then I was thinking, right, okay, I need to get out of here. And Dublin was was the next step. Um, and then my company that I worked for at the time, I got a job with my old company I'd had years ago, Montgomery's. And the reason why I went back was because I felt that, that I'd... Refrigeration yeah, I felt that I'd missed the boom. I was like, oh my God, did my houses had went up 
I was thinking I need to buy another one. And I bought one just at the very top end of 2007, just before it all crashed. So that was that was the nail in the coffin then. That was the beginning of the end. There was so much stress around it, you know. And at that point, you know, I had been dealing with tenants from a very young age. You know, I'd had tenants for 10 years at that point. And, yeah. you know, if a washing machine broke or if something happened or rent didn't turn in or something was going on, you were always dealing with something. And I think that just amount of pressure was just building up over years that I got so used to it that I didn't realize what it was like not to have it. So when everything started unwind and I was thinking, right, okay, what what what's this look like in reality? And then I was thinking, I was very nervous and I had to say to my mom and dad, look, this is, this is what's happening and I have to tell tenants. I lost my job, lost the houses, and then I... So what did you think then? So I... I that was what, a ride? Well, there was, well, do you want to know what I did think at that time? I was thinking, am I really happy where I'm at right now? And you were reading, I don't know, if, like especially in the South, you were seeing it much, much more. People pulling over to the side of the road, putting a hose in the side of the car and yeah. gassing One themselves. Of yeah. You know, the hospital and, and there was people literally just killing themselves yeah. over money. And they were saying, you know, they couldn't survive. And I just thought to myself, I'm not going to be that person. There is no way. And I, I just, my mom, I said to my mom, I'm going to give up the houses. And um, say, oh my God, what are you going to do? And you have to tell them. And I said, look, would you rather that I kill myself? You know, because basically that's what people are doing. But I mean, that's, I, I want to talk a little bit about suicide because I haven't mm. talked about it on the podcast. And it, it, you're right. That is the time when they were spiking. I was away in Asia at the time. I'd be coming home and there'd be somebody, you know, my sisters would know to do that. It was happening a lot. Oh my God, it's happening so much. You know, oh, I'm bankrupt or, oh, the banks are closing in or, oh, I'm better off dead. It was like, yeah, yeah. it's a wonderful life. I'm better off alive than dead and my wife can get the insurance money or whatever. I know there's so much. And I, I worked at this thing I, when I was in Phuket in Thailand. I have a friend who lives there and she has a two bedroom with a garage, two story house that's 200 meters from the beach and she paid 300 US a month to rent it. So mm. times 12 is 3,600. Okay. Yeah. She eats locally at the, you know, best food the ever. Beach, best <laughs> food ever. She has a local pub, which she likes to drink that she yeah. serves cheap yeah, ass yeah, yeah. booze. And I worked out that for somebody who's single, you could go to Thailand for one year with six grand, including a flight there mm. and back for a year. Yeah. And then kill yourself. <laughs> no, I, I don't mean that. I know, yeah. Promise me you'll do a year there. And the whole world view will change. Oh, like, I mean, I spent time in Thailand as well. and I'm not just saying Thailand. Could be but it's, it is so it, cheap yeah. to yeah. live. Yeah. And like We done at the end of our traveling and you were able to live like a king. Mm. But look, going back to the suicide thing is what you yeah. said. is like, I've never been suicidal, thankfully, mm-hmm. in my I'm life. I'm, I, I talk too much to be suicidal. Yeah. If I've got a problem, I, I say it out loud. <laughs> my mom says, Matthew, sometimes, you know, you should hold back a bit and maybe not say it. And I said, what? No way, if you don't. Yeah. And one of the guys, which we'll see in the doc, documentary jack canfield he always says if you don't express you depress if you adapt that into everything that you're into if you're into running if you're into gym if you're into singing if you don't do what you're meant to do you just become depressed you just need to do it i don't i don't follow the whole oh it's a very selfish gesture i I get the fact that people are like you know i just can't i don't want to live on this earth anymore and i go okay you know and i go Mm. you know I, i used to say you know watch it's a wonderful life and 
go and live on an island somewhere and run a speedboat for a, a year. And if you still yeah. hate the world, that's cool too. You know. You yeah. Can, I just think you know, don't do it in yeah. the way that little children find you in some way. You know, do it. I, I know. I'm, I'm just, I just say like, just don't do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm not know, pro and, and suicide, like, but I, I'm also I'm, against all these people go. Oh, it's a very selfish move. But people are fucked up yeah. and they do not want to be here. And I get. That. Yeah. I don't really give it too much thought either i hear about it so much from just different you know if someone rings from home and says so and so passed away and this is i or this is why i just i feel sorry for that person yeah. for a minute and then i'm like look i can't hang on that because yeah. it just would consume me and i'd feel if but i was, to go, to, if I was to go to every funeral that, that yeah. was up the north and at from my home i'd be up every week yeah. you know and and that will have a knock-on effect on yeah your, on your well-being you've been we're going to come to the evolution of success because mm. this is the whole, I guess, end point we're going to come to in the podcast. But you've been basically picking up life experiences as you go, remembering them, storing them, uh, listening to people that you found interesting, ignoring people sometimes, but at least listening to them, as you used to say, about mm. your dad or even financial advisors, making a lot of money, losing a lot of money. So this is all happening yeah. to you at a very young age. And, and I didn't really know what was happening. So but whenever everything crashed and it was like, right, that's it. Whenever I went and met the finance guy and he said, um, now that you're doing this, you don't pay anybody anymore. You can't pay anybody in like my whole life, essentially. I take over from here. I deal with all your creditors directly, blah, blah, blah. I have never felt weight lifted off me, ever. Like I actually came out of that meeting and I was, I almost felt like, is this even happening? Yeah. Like, because I had didn't realize the amount of pressure I'd been under with yeah. people ringing, behind on bills, behind on this, lost your job. And he said, the houses, you don't have to pay any mortgage on them anymore. That's I'll look after it from here. I rebuilt my life from there and I rebuilt it. I didn't, that's when it started. It I wasn't start. a life though that was crap. I tell you what, well, it wasn't crap. And I was very grateful looking yeah. back for all the experiences I got, but it wasn't the life that I wanted. I didn't want to have houses, I don't think. Right. I think I bought them at a time whenever, whenever you know, who make, it's like getting a tattoo when you're 19. You know, there's a good yeah. chance you want to get that removed yeah. at some point. You know, so I was making these big decisions at a young age without really realizing what I was doing because I was going full steam ahead into them. I wasn't going to look for another job in a refrigeration company. I wasn't going to try and get another mortgage to buy a house somewhere else. That wasn't, definitely was not travel? the case. Yeah, like travel, like every like experience in Thailand, whenever people can live for so cheap and they're so happy. I was leaving my ego in Belfast, you know, what other people thought about me. Yeah. I can even remember uh, my uncle Pete, he, he came down once and he said, there's a car out there, do you think you should buy it? It was a yellow Chicacento. And I laughed and I said, are you crazy? There's no way I'm buying that. And then the more I thought about it, I thought, do you want to know what? I can't actually afford anything else. Yeah. Fuck it, I'm going to buy it. So my dogs, my two pugs had just had pugs and we'd sold them for, you know, a grand each. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody in the family works. My mum and dad took the money because they looked after them and I said, look, all I want is that car. So I bought that yellow Chicacento and I drove it down to Dublin. Did you feel you let your parents down? I didn't. Um, they never put you under that. No, place. never, Jesus. No, right. I didn't. I know I didn't. I didn't. Be, there's a lot of tut tutting parents. My mom never would have went and said to her friends, oh God, Matthew's bought a new house or Matthew. Yeah. She never. She was always like, just yeah, keep it on down low because yeah. you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. She's always said that. She was like, right eventually. Oh no, she was right. Like, I mean, <laughs> this is the thing. And I ended up in a situation where I was like, I know who I don't want to be anymore. What do I do next? Okay. Even though I didn't have that much money. I always know that I have the ability to make money. I can go and get a job in a car wash. You know, you can do that for five days of the week and you get what, you know. 500, 600 bucks, yeah. I don't really focus on not having money. I focus on now what makes me happy and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was still trying to work all this out at that point. So everybody used to always say to me, God, you should be an actor. Do you never act or anything like that? So I thought to myself, 
you know, maybe I should be an actor. So I went to do an acting class. Yeah, it was the best thing I'd done because I, I had to get up and stand up in front of people and, and act. But um, I wasn't great and it wasn't something that I loved to do. But I ended up being in a class with a director, Jason Figgis, and he ended up saying to me, look, I've got a small part in the movie. Would you like it? Within about two months of joining my acting class, I was on set for the first time. What movie, was the movie? It was called The Ecstasy of Isabel Mann. It was like a horror, low budget. I was covered in makeup or whatever. But he said, look, we've got this other movie coming up. Would you like a part of Roland? And it was a, it was a bigger role. And I thought, yeah, let's do this. So I ended up in that movie. In the middle of it, something happened between the producer and himself. And there was nobody there to finish the movie. So I said, he said, look... We don't have a producer at the minute. And I said, well, what, what does the producer do? I didn't even know. But I didn't do everything that a producer does. I just yeah. done what instinctively I had to do. I was like, right, well, we need to get a location. So let's get a location. Yeah. So I just rang and got a location down Galway. Need to get everybody there, right? We'll hire cars. Let's right. go. Yeah. Okay, we need lunch. Let's just go to the shop yeah. and buy lunch. So yeah. really, like, what do I do next? Yeah. But because I had always been talking about, been dealing with people about money, about rent, about mortgages, about finance, about all that like money side of things I'm okay I can talk about mm. people in the creative world can't yeah. not all of them can anyway yeah, some no, right. some of them can so I was actually doing this these acting classes and by the time we'd done the second movie I was calling myself an actor on the dole loving life yeah. um, and I was sort of thinking yeah I'm going to give this a bash as, as in the acting world stepping into sort of finishing up producing that second movie I was like no I get this feels more like home because I'm back in in business I'm back in yeah. bartering for stuff and yeah. saying look give us that and we'll give you this or let's do this and we'll do that and that was just really like me back having a buzz about what I'm doing but I was doing it in a world where I was creative I was around makeup yeah. artists yeah. and cameramen and directors and did not feel like work and I yeah. was thinking do people actually get paid for this I wasn't getting paid for it at the time I stayed with that production company for a couple of years just doing bits and pieces with them you know and saying like how do you do this and how do you do that and I was on the dole and because I was from the north, the Dole office kept sending people out to me saying, like, do you live here? And I was thinking, yes, I live here. We need to see your bedroom. I was like, look, I don't want to be on here because I want to open my own business. And I just said to this girl who called in my house one day, I don't want to be here. Like, what do I do? And we both left my apartment on Thomas Street that day and went to the Thomas Street Dole office. And I sat down with this woman and she's like, look, this is what you do about getting back to work. And the Dole office ended up helping me with a back to work scheme to open my own business inner city enterprise ice yeah. absolutely brilliant i went and met them and they said what do you want to do and i said look i want to have a film production company i said i want to do movies around the world i want to have premieres in la i want to have this i want to have that and they were like okay heard that back cool a bit, can we just cool can we can we just bring it back where people will actually believe you i said okay let's go then we ended up going through doing local promo videos and doing all these different things and then they put me on the back to start your own business scheme where they give you your alliance support for one year 70% for the next year to get yourself on your feet, which was an absolute lifesaver. It was brilliant. Yeah. It's still there. People need to know that there mm. is help out there and just you have to ask. And every weakness that I had got at that time, I've now realized that that's my strength. Yeah. You know, that's why people will say, okay, I'll help you out because mm. I see you're going through a hard time. Yeah, let's just go with that. So we call that's it, good. we call it, that was a bank house was born in that day. What year was that? It was that born. was um, 2014. So you, you got this break from the government and then you had part of your business plan or proposition to them. You're saying, I'm going to make movies all over the world. Yeah. Where did the idea, so you did the acting course, did you, and, and the production of that guy's movie, did you just go, yeah, this is kind of an amalgam I, I had, of all the things. Yeah, I like. kind of. And it was, I mean. How do you do that? Do you chunk things? 
the paperwork. No, now, well, now how I do it is like at that point I was like, I used to take a lot on myself. Now I delegate. So it's like Daniel who works with me said, it's not how we do this, it's who. Right. So we're like, right, who can we put on that can do this? And, and that's how we sort of spread that now. But yes, before I would have took it all on myself and worked around the clock and probably made myself somewhat sick. But you wonder what? I actually work with people that are flipping amazing. They're better than me, you know, and that, okay. that's what I try to aim for. How do you for. find those people? They just come into my life. Weirdly, it's crazy. Right. Like, I mean, do I you realized... constantly look at people that you meet? I don't mean this to sound sinister, but like, do you, do you seek out I kind of know people I think who... I see like potential in people. And I think that I've got a really good way of bringing the, the best potential to the forefront. And yeah. like Daniel ended up writing a movie, right, called Dive and... I think we had a table read on the 1st of March. We turned on cameras on the on the 11th of March. We had the premiere of the movie on the 17th of May, 66 that. days later. And then we released in cinemas nationwide on the 18th of May for a week. And we got kept on two cinemas for another week. Tell, ask anybody if that's possible I, and they I, will I say no. I movie which you know? was a Rodriguez style yeah. film and it took us six oh, weeks like, to shoot the bloody thing, not to mind. We done score, post production, everything, and I mean the movie had got three out of five stars with the Irish Times. You know we were in Galway. How much of it is your naivety? A lot. You know, if I had went to school, I wouldn't have done any of this. If someone had sat down and told me, right, this is the way to do this, that's why I sort of think: listen to everything in school, take all the information you can, but then throw it out the window and go with your gut instinct. If someone says you can't do this that way, then I take great joy in sort of proving them. Do you think you have to know what you're zagging away from loosely? In other words, yeah. you know a little bit about it. Then. Yeah, well, I, I know, like, I mean, I, I know what I need to do with, like, yeah, you know, someone's call sheets yeah. and I know who to put on the team, essentially. And that is something that you learn and you make mistakes all the way through. Does the industry... Frown upon it? No, look at you with <laughs> amusement at some of the um, you know, sometimes the way you do it this. Be, I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't I mean, a cinema about, guy, you know, a cinema owner... It knows I, 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 I tell, so I tell you, you did not just sit and read this on a table on the 11th of March. And, you know. We got we get into some cinemas, I'm not going to say which ones, yeah. on the one minute teaser, you know, and that that's how much they believed in what we were doing. Yeah. When I was around, you know, growing up in the 80s, Ireland was very much looking for and prostituting itself in a good way to overseas filmmaking. And, and one of the reasons why Game of Thrones and Private Ryan and so many of these movies and, and TV series that are made here is that we, we have a huge talent base based on the, that investment, uh, based I, on tax breaks. Ireland has serious talent. Like everybody I work with is extremely talented and I've had like a ball all the way through it. You know, we, yeah. we've, my, whenever I sat down and said, you know, I want to have, I said to Shane, you know, in Inner City Enterprise, I want to do movies all around the yeah. world. In 2014, <laughs> at my business, I've been open a year and Ger Walsh came to me and said, and he said, he sent me his movie, A Day Like Today. And I thought, God, that movie's brilliant. I said, God, he's done it with for 600 quid and by himself with the 600D and two really, really strong actors. And I thought, God, if he had a bit of budget, he's a seriously talented guy. And I said, God, he's brilliant. So he ended up sending me this script. It was 44 pages at the time. I didn't even know at that point that, yeah. you know, it had to be 90. <laughs> I didn't even realize. So he had been working with another producer who was developing the script with him. And I thought, right, okay, well, they've got that under control. He said, do you want to make this movie? And I said, yeah, let's go. This was towards the end of August. And he said, the only thing is Dara O'Toole, who's in Red Rock, is back filming on the 27th of September. And he has to shave for Red Rock. I said, we need to shoot it before then. Naive as anything again, I ended up jumping in, shooting the movie, got it wrapped before the 27th. In that movie, we ended up 
premiered in Galway, went in Fingal, went on a festival in London, went to Indy Cork, went to Cam Mirage, one of the best cinematography festivals in the world. The five movies that got picked were Sing Street, Sanctuary, A Date for Mad Mary, something else, and then South, our movie. And yeah. Inner City Enterprise ended up having an award ceremony, and Bankhouse actually won Most Innovative Business of 2015 just because of our sheer extreme what hard the, work. What did the other production companies think of you? I don't know. I don't, don't know. Care. I don't really care. No, I mean, I don't. I don't think there's any. Since 2015, I've got between short films and feature yeah. films. We've made three feature films: a feature documentary. We've got a feature documentary in post production on homeless World Cup street leagues, featuring Colin Farrell, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, and then we've made maybe three shorts. The, today, right now, there's a short film being made in Cork, which we've just won the Cork Bursary uh, Fund, and we're doing it. Karen Toomey, a really extremely talented producer who works for Bankhouse is down there right now for five days shooting that um, and it's brilliant now because the way that I've set things up we can branch out like Karen's down doing that now I haven't even to think about her once I said go do it yourself you're going to learn so much on it under and your banner yeah under my banner like and I mean I'm working well, with like, Ron I mean, Burgess I and Colin I mean, we, we okay we had huge expense on film stock everyone worked for free and we had to carve up the movie like a co-op and of course yeah. people had a point or a half point or whatever and no one got any money because it got picked up by Roadhouse and this is too Well getting a piece and that's like I mean the first movie only yeah, like you know it, 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 I, I was pissed off with the Australian film we saw, shot in Australia I was on to the Australian Film Commission going they were channeling everybody into short movies for John Holson's Chop Fest and every Australian filmmaker was making short movies and I was going like to that's just a cop out. Like get your, mm. like get your, get your movie makers to make. Like I said to Tony Redmond, who made it, I was producing with him. I said, let's make a feature, because we will fail quicker. And I'm like, you probably wouldn't like this. Like <laughs> but I said, everyone tends to fail. But let's just get it fucking done. Oh no, and that's I, it. I'm, I, I, the the joy I, we got of achieving it. Oh right? no, fail again, but feel better. Yeah, make the last thing you did better than the yeah, thing yeah. You did before that. But like, the, the, like, like we had to get we we got a girl in from Melbourne who put fifty grand in. I probably put fifty grand and sixty grand in. You know, we had to get money. Yeah, to see, fund same, the thing. same again. Like we do the same. I take some some private investment, but yeah. because I en- ended up at had the acting school. But at that point, I was like, okay, what what is going on with in the acting world? And we end up um, opening feature film school, which was an acting course. And it ended up giving the actors an opportunity to do a workshop with the director, use that money that they paid in their workshops, reinvest it into the film, and then you go and make a movie. Yes, um, right. So we've, we've done that three times now. Yeah. We're just going to launch so for our the next acting course. acting in film schools in Dublin, Bally Fermat or wherever they are? Did they go, well, this is highly irregular. What you're I think, doing. I think a lot, at that time, a lot of people <laughs> said, oh, who are they? What are they doing? You know, but I guess again, I don't now? know. Yeah, we are. A few, I got approached by a few different people that really made me realize we're very much on the radar. But people yeah. looking to join forces and things like that. And I just thought Absolutely. quite interesting. Well, I won't, yeah, you know. Don't, don't. Um, I can imagine. But um, it was funny. There's still a very big, in my view, there's, there's also huge writing talent. Oh my still God, yeah. Talent. Well, do you want to know what I will say this right now? Send me your scripts. Send me okay, your scripts to go. info at bankhouseproductions.com. Yeah. Karen will read everything. I, I'm dyslexic. She reads everything. Yeah. <laughs> and then she tells me, I, I will read scripts, of course. It's my job. But only whenever she's read them and told me, yeah. broke it down and said, look, this is what we're doing. And then I love a good table read, listening to it. But this will go bad. And I'm sure people who are studying movies and script writing will listen. 
I would give the qualifiers. Or maybe you don't want the qualifiers, but the qualifiers of what exactly a script is. Well, do you want? Do you want to know what? It's like a compelling story. Would you go to the cinema and pay seventeen quid for a ticket and a pick and mix to watch this movie? If the answer is no, you need to figure out why you're writing it. The story that you might think is so important to you that you think that everybody will care about, yeah. will they? There's a couple of different levels. You can make an indie movie that is very genre, like Dive, which we done, which was about pre. Um, repeal the eighth, which yeah. showed a young girl who fell pregnant, chose not to tell her family, and left the country to have an abortion. That is a hard sell. I know that is a hard I can sell. I now understand why you rushed it through because we had a referendum. We had yeah, we had a referendum, and, and we, the audience is ready. There yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we that was that was again like guerrilla marketing. You know, yeah. we had a save the eighth campaign out, outside the screen, which all positive, but. That is a really hard sell and I know it's a hard sell because I sat in the Galway film market in July this year and had to open my laptop and say, hey, so this is a movie, the girl leaves leaves Ireland and, ha- and has an abortion and you're talking to someone from America, LA, you're talking to someone from, you know, UK, from Europe that didn't experience what we experienced with mm-hmm. the referendum. And they were like looking at me with a face saying, you're showing me a movie about abortion. I'm not sure this fits with what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Then you sit down with TV3 and they're like, We've got the audience for this. Yeah. You know, send this over and we'll watch the screener. You know, that that's the difference. So I, after experiencing going through the market and people saying to me, no, 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 no. Have you got another project? And then seeing which ones they were excited about, seeing which ones that they weren't excited about. It really then made me think as a producer and I came back and I had a meeting with the guys and I was like, we really need to think about what we're doing next. I mean, I, I, I really think that writers are... Like they don't, they don't get. I don't think they're valued enough. It's it's weird the way that it, it happens. You know, whenever I first started seeing how much people pay for options and and what the deal is for the writer, I was kind of shocked. You know, for for writing, I would just say I put a lot of thought into like why you're writing it and what your hopes for it are. Yeah. Right. So if you see your movies in cinemas worldwide, then you write a movie that will go worldwide sale. Are you making it to take a punt on the three hundred and fifty thousand and it being a, a blockbuster? That's a new thing now. If you look at um, Get Out. Right. I think yeah, it was made for like four million or something yeah, or yeah. a bit less and I think it, I don't even know how much it's done Oscar but it's even the one it's not a car though I, yeah, I, I thought it was a that. comedy yeah I've been scared well, I, it see, is, I got it's, scared it's Scream no it's not a, which is it's, a comedy no this is this <laughs> is like this you could watch this okay, and okay. I would recommend it yeah. we take on obviously risky projects and you know I'm I'm diverse in, in that I do the projects that I really am passionate about. I wanted to be a part of this referendum. I wanted to be a stamp in it yeah. somehow, and I didn't know how. I feel that by making this movie and telling a time in history in Ireland, we've all yeah. done it collectively as a team. That's my contribution. And with on the result, I left and went up to the north that day because yeah. I thought it was a really a celebration, a somber yeah, no, celebration. It was I was hard like, to, what, I mean, is, it was, what are we celebrating here? Do you know what I mean? No, it's like the, the, there's a podcast a few back uh, about the abortion referendum in Ireland with the Don. If you go back and listen to that, anyone listening to this, but yes, you're, you're not celebrating abortion. No one really likes abortion, but yeah. what we're celebrating, I think, with the marriage referendum and now this is we're we're celebrating Ireland getting out of the yoke of the church and state mm. imposing itself on individuals' rights. Yeah. There, it wasn't dancing in the streets. It yeah. was a landslide victory. It was a, the, at a very simple level. You vote yes. At a very mm. simple level, it's like we, we have lots of people having abortions. We're not providing for them. We're brushing them under the carpet and sending mm. them to Britain of all places. How <laughs> funny, right? When you get into the weeds of abortion, it becomes very fraught and very difficult. And you're, you know, rape victims and you have this and you've got 
infant abnormal, fetal abnormalities. And you, I mean, it gets messy, mm-hmm. so to speak. And that's how we voted. We voted, yeah, we work at work out a way that allows something that's going to happen anyway, hopefully less of it, yeah. all that stuff. But in a country that is at least it's not well, the way the way that I looked at that was. You know, at least people can have a conversation about it. They were not breaking the law, exactly. you know, so you're not going to get arrested or anything like that. You know, with the marriage referendum and this referendum, like Ireland is is good at yeah. where it used we to be. Ourselves. Where it used to be, like, don't talk about this, don't yeah, talk about yeah. that. And, and that's do you know what? It's from the north you're as well. You're a storyteller. So. Yeah, look, I mean, we have to tell stories. We're in that mode where we're like, we've come off a few somber projects. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we're like, okay, let's have a laugh. And the shift that they're shooting in Cork today is about Funny. the kids going away to the Gale Talk and having the first shift. It's, okay. it's very, very funny. It's brilliant. And um, I'm not surprised that it won. And, you know, I could see us doing great things with that short. Are you making money? Yeah, we're making money. <laughs> yeah. Great. I've been, it's I've actually been, very hard to make money. I've well, I've, we've got an office in Tambo Bar, four people working for me. I've yeah. got like, like yesterday, there's 45 people on set, including extras yeah. with Karen down in Cork. We work in LA. We work, we're working in London now. What I've done as well is I've created Bankhouse Media. You know, we have bigger clients now, which we look after their TV ads, their radio ads, all their online content. We build their sales funnels. We build out their, you know, I've just been really innovative and looked and said, right, okay, where's the world going right now? Everything's online. People buy online. People buy on Instagram. People buy on that. So I get that. And I'm like, right, okay, well, how do I serve that customer? Because that is something that I'm interested in. It's something that I believe that I can add value in. And I'm like, right, okay, so we do a lot of sales videos and, you know, corporate and sales world pay yeah, well. Yeah, well, you know, the ad business and stuff like it's that. It's the ad Funds, business. So the artistic it's like that. And we've got the acting school and it's working away and we're very happy with that as well. It, it, it does really well for us. And then I have, which I'm about to launch, which is the evolution of success, which Perfect. is a whole big, massive <laughs> entity in itself. And it's very the, overwhelming. Let's start. Let's finish the podcast mm-hmm. on the evolution of success because we've been hitting. Yeah. This is the light of the end of our tunnel and possibly mm. your tunnel. So explain what the evolution of success is. So it, whenever I went through the hard times and I was afraid to tell people that I was on unemployment and I was like, oh my God, what am I? I, I don't know what to do. I was lost. You know, did I fall into depression? I don't, maybe a form of it. I don't know. I didn't, yeah. I didn't have anything really dark going on in my life, but I did feel a bit lonely at times because I didn't have the balls to tell people what was going on. And I didn't think the people that I was going to tell was going to be able to help me anyway. So I yeah. didn't want to burden anybody with mm-hmm. it. But anyway, I read self-help books and I looked at different things and I started asking questions and I ended up in a position where I had my own company making movies. So whenever I was out in LA at the end of 2013, I had met a guy called Steve G. Jones, who ended up becoming my mentor. I said to him, Steve, I don't know what to do. I've lost everything at home and I haven't really told anybody. He said, forget about it. What do you want to do with your life? And I said, I want to be a film producer. He said, well, go be a film producer. And I said, what What do you mean though? And he just said, just do it. Just do it, right? So he'd like give me the spark back in that I've had whenever I was fucking 15. Do you know what I mean? The, yeah. He reignited that for me. Yeah. And that was December 2013. I didn't see him until about February 2015. And I told him, I've just, just done this movie, it, South. I've just done this. I yeah. showed him South. And he was like, oh my God. He said like, you're like a absolute example of like the law of attraction and about all these different things. He goes, how'd you do it? And I said, well, I've done this and done this. And he said, you should make a documentary about this. And I said, well, who, who would be in my documentary, you know? And he said, well, I would be in it. And I said, okay, cause he's got a profile in that, in the personal development world. And he said, Joe Vitale would be in it. And Joe Vitale was someone in the secret that I, you know, read and, and follow Joe and download his books. And I goes, Joe Vitale would be in it. He picked up his phone. He rang, hey, Joe. And with this Irish guy, he's looking to make a documentary on, on success. Would you be in? And he said, yeah, of course I would. And that's how it started. I came away, wrote the treatment of it. I was going to call several different names. And then the evolution of success just came. I ended up being then 
brought into like a mastermind group with a guy called Peter Hallam. He owns a mastermind called The Bug Free Mind. Going out to a mastermind, I ended up meeting up with like Jack Canfield. Jack Canfield wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. I was sitting with him. I was with him for three days in Vegas and I was filming with him and I was thinking, wow, how the hell has this happened? You know, how has this happened? Yeah. Um, and the evolution of success has, has ended up with, uh, with the director of it, Daniel Holmes, who directed everything through the edit. He's a genius. Uh, um, we're working very closely on everything now. They, it, we've now created which will be 12 tools that I have put into my toolbox that that I have adapted into my life, such as, you know, visualization, meditation, journaling, asking for help, unlearning your belief systems, which is a massive one. We're starting to test next month and then we're going to go for a full launch next year. So it's finished? It's finished completely. Okay, so let me be devil's advocate here. Uh, the secret. Let's talk about the secret. Mm-hmm. I know your guys are involved and hi if you're listening, but there's this pull yourself up by the bootstraps approach mm-hmm. you know that it's all on you it's all on the individual all you got to do is get your head right go after the things that you really desire if you reach out to the universe the universe will reach back mm-hmm. out into you and deliver the things that you most desire and all this kind of stuff and has been proven your story and we've just covered for the it's, last it's hour. not it's not that easy what you just I said know, <laughs> that's what i'm coming back to yeah that's what i'm coming back to that not everyone's as smart as you IQ is there for a reason. You've probably got mm. an IQ somewhere around 140, 150 marks. I don't even know what that but you know, means. You know? but, but the IQ means 100 is normal. Okay. It means there are people with 60. And okay. those people don't have any bootstraps. So, so how we start so. off with it in the evolution of success, right, is the first part of it is like redefining success. You know, success could be having a lot of money. It could, like as Jack Canfield says... He's been had a lot of money in the bank. He's had not. He's had fame. He's had all these different things. And he doesn't refine any of that as being success now. So it's like you have to redefine what success is to you and, and block out what you're being told on Instagram, what you're being told on the Daily Mail, what you're being told by influencers. Oh, you have to have X amount of followers. You have to X amount. Of life. No, take yourself back and go like, right, okay, where's my life right now? And what would genuinely make me happy? Yeah. Some people, it's just being married with three children yeah. and their life is completely complete with a lovely husband and all that. And But they're, they're in, a, in their job and they're competing with the girl next door to them that has Louboutins yeah. and they think, I need to have Louboutins. No, yeah. you don't. Yeah. You need to really go right back to the ground yeah. and say, what do I want and who am I and what, what is success to me? Mm-hmm. Because we are literally told what success is. We're told what success is by society. Society tells you it's status and it's financial status above everything. Yeah, all these different things. When I give up advertising, everyone goes, you're mad. What are you doing? You're at the most, you know. The pinnacle of your life. Yeah, I I can be a CEO. But but how do you feel whenever you record a podcast, whenever you're sitting down to edit it? I I sit down to edit these things and I think my joke is I'm about, you'll be probably numbered at 99 or maybe 100. I've never done a hundred of anything. Except I know. maybe rice. That that's it. You know, <laughs> and it's like no it fills a hole. It goes into then, you know, working out what do you class as success and it's okay not to hit all these other yeah. things that you're aiming to hit. And then it goes into goal setting. How do you set goals in around your life that are gonna make you happy? And I'm talking about going out for a walk. I'm talking about like with the evolution of success in the documentary that we're doing. I started listening to Gary V's book the other week and um, he's somebody that I sort of follow on Instagram and I don't know if I follow him at the minute or not. It's very intense. And very Vaynerchuk. I, I started to listen to it, right? I thought, um, oh my God, this book is like how to, how to build your personal brand, how to do this, how to do this, how to do this. Now, I have several different companies with people working for me, a lot of clients, movies going all over the place and I felt overwhelmed by what he was saying. I know Gary and I worked with him, but Gary's a very... You're not, you're not dissimilar types of characters, but you know, Gary, 
from what I can remember, his father had a wine business in New Jersey. Yes, and he that, just started doing little videos talking about the wine. But and then yes, it grew and, and it grew and it was kind of organic. No, it grew, right? Yeah. But the thing is, he started with six million. That went to sixty million. Four yeah, million or else went to sixty. But right. I mean that's still four million. He wasn't yeah. like I'm just gonna buy yeah. whenever I whenever I was getting hundred and eighty eight quid on the dole yeah. and genuinely like Robin Peter to pay Paul to pay rent, which was four hundred and forty quid a month, that person is needs to understand that they can pull themselves out of it. And it is by redefining what success is. Journaling is brilliant. It's a free like you get a piece of paper and you just start writing down your thoughts. I feel like this. I feel like that. I don't know what's going on right now, but what do I want? Then write like, well, how would a perfect day look for yourself? Mm. You know, and a perfect day might just be like waking up and just going into a job that you love or working in a coffee shop or doing whatever. It's like with everything that's going on at the moment and all these different things that are getting thrown into our lives, I just feel that everybody's getting sucked back into You're that right. thing that I was in in my 20s whenever I was banned. Was I banned house for myself? Or was I banned because of what other people thought about me? Yeah. My cynicism towards self-help is there, but it's I also understand the importance of good ones. Yeah. I mean, I don't. The secret to me of it was just a bit, or no, I, I, wish I, it and it'll come. Sorry, you know, yeah, I mean, no. The, there's a part, part of the evolution come. of success, and it's all about action, you know. And I, I did say in the documentary that there is a line that really stood to me, like the law of distraction. You get so distracted by the law of attraction quote because you think, oh my God, no, I've thought about this. So this comes into my life. No, it won't. Why do you deserve to get a promotion? Why do you deserve to get that job? You need to take action. If you want to be, have your own sewing company, you need to go and start by taking a sewing class. But there's a lack of work ethic to achieve. Mm. You know, like yeah. if you think about what we just talked about for the last hour, you by the time of 21 or two had experienced what it was like to work on an assembly line at a chicken factory how to put together a refrigeration unit, yeah. how to buy a house. Yeah. You've gone through all of these life experiences that many people, as I said, maybe your man's mother on the yeah. Moy Park chicken thing had been there for 20 years. That's all they do. And maybe yeah. they buy a house. With the demise of religion, this sheer swamping of attention required from often mindless things that are attacking us usually through our phone, and then nihilism trying to confront... Why are we all here if there is no afterlife, if there is no God? Mm. What is the purpose of me being yeah. here? And, you know, we end up in a situation where we're going to need to recalibrate ourselves. I don't know if you're into meditation or not. Meditation has been huge for me. If I have to work something out in my head, you go into it and you sort of just thinking about that. And that's all you're thinking about. And it's like you work out all the answers then in your head. So many different things come in and just works out of my head. That you got, you got off the booze. How, what happened there? So I got off the booze. So with my job, I, I was living in Camden Street in, in Dublin, which is a pretty lively, whatever, and, and going on all night. So that paired with traveling back and forth to LA, which was as soon as you get on to, into the airport, you have pint, drinking the whole trip. All the decisions I, I made was all to do with drink. I sort of thought, okay, what's going on here? Has this got a grip on me? So about two years before I stopped, I knew that I was going to stop at some point, but I'd, it was just after my 30th birthday, sort of, and I thought, okay, I want to give up drink. And then I just had a couple of different things happen. My stomach kept bloating out. Turned out I had diverticulitis, hiatus hernia. I got a bit of a fright. I stopped overnight. That was it. I just literally said I have to do this. So, And then I ended up giving up meat because my stomach was just in a place where I didn't know what was going on with it. So I give up everything that would have given it a hard time. And now my stomach is flipping great. Like mm. I, I feel healthier, fitter, yeah. mentally, physically. I probably think I'm in better shape now than I've ever been in my entire life. My head's in such a good place that I can make movies in 66 days and get them released into cinemas. But I was going to say, you know? I mean, I, I give up booze twice a year for a month. 
uh, and I have done since I was 19. We're both Irish. We both have <laughs> a gene in us that can go askew or can sense yeah. askew. And it's a very dangerous thing. Yeah. And a lot of people do do this. A lot of people do it from different reasons. They give up mm. for fear or because they feel they're an alcoholic or becoming one. And I love drinking. One of the reasons I do give up twice a year is so I don't never have to give up all the time because I do mm. like socializing. But I did give up beer, for example, and my but I'm probably fitter than I've been. Yeah. Because I've I've stopped drinking 20 pints of beer a week. You know, well, that, that's it. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help. I mean, I drink vodka now. But, I you know, but, you know, the, 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 the idea that, that it actually does stop you from being your most productive, I will 100% agree with. I can't bound out of bed when I've been out on a night at mm. eight in the morning. I will procrastinate more. Oh, there was decisions been made in business that, that whenever I look back now, it was just crazy um, that I was making them emotionally. Um, because I was always hungover or whatever. Touching on the alcoholic thing, was I an alcoholic? I don't think so because I stopped so f- easily. But I think we need to redefine what an alcoholic is. You know, it's it's not just someone who has to go to meetings. It's not someone who just has to seek support all the time. But I mean, you know, look how many people binge drink at the weekends now. Look how many people try to stop. Like I have so many friends in my life that try to stop drinking. They say, oh my God, I wish I yeah, could just stop like you. I think can't even come on it for a month with me. Yeah. I mean, to me, an alcoholic I, is somebody I, I, who, 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 as soon as they get up in the morning, within an hour or two, they have to have a drink. Or the person who, when they're in their job, runs out at lunchtime and has a drink, to, you know, on their own. There's no socialness. There's mm, a need. There's yeah. a handshake that stops wobbling when I start drinking and I get and I get another day back on the horse. I, I, I think you kind of know when you're an alcoholic. I think there needs to be if you some... Have, if you give up drinking mm-hmm. and you're not sure whether you were an alcoholic or not, then you probably weren't an alcoholic. You just yeah. chose to give up drinking. And you, it's like saying, are you a mad vegan, but I gave up red meat? Well, you know, you gave up, that, that's probably going to be yeah. the most embarrassing thing about this. <laughs> no, about humanity in a hundred yeah. years time. They'll go, you were on the moon. You nearly cured mm. cancer. And you still were treating animals like fucking awful, right? No. And you still no. liked your burgers, didn't you? And you still ate them. And you, you, know, you, you it, sat you know? in your podcast saying, oh, maybe I should stop eating red meat. But I mean, that's hugely advanced. I mean, smoking will kill me, but something's got to. Yeah. But like this idea of how we treat other animals is just outrageous. Oh, no, I, th- I of, think I think it's crazy. You know, I, I haven't had meat in about a year and a half now, and I don't think I will again. I did at one point try to go back on. Does I'm it not make you sick? To- um, I, what I've realized is, you know, you don't need that much food. <laughs> like I used to eat way too much. Now I just have really good meals and I eat really, really well. But I mean, we just, I, you just don't need half the food that you eat, no. you know, and our plates are piled up so high. And yet, no, it doesn't make me sick. But yeah, I'm thinking to myself, I wouldn't be crazy about, wouldn't be crazy I, I, because about. Because of my, my sort of strategy background, I kind of, I, I want the world to, maybe you can do this, come up with a solution. That gets us off meat. Yeah. Okay. From next January, all restaurants can only serve meat three days a week. Well, Weird stuff. There's like a that. guy actually that I listened to his podcast the other day, Dunnick Podcast. His name is Norman Crowley about green energy and like sorting out the whole plastic situation yeah, going yeah. on. And and he says like the best way for people to go green is save money. If you want people to separate and you want to sort out this problem, then people need to start benefiting from that financially. Yeah. We're living in society that it has to be, there has to be something in it for people. Yeah. You know, and that's just yeah, the nature of the The other side is I've lived in America for eight years and I just see the complete, you know, one in three people are 
close to or below the breadline. They go to big restaurants and they eat meat that's one ninety nine, or they eat pizza that's ninety nine. It's very D4 for uh, of us to be sort of advanced in our thinking how <laughs> animals are being treated and stuff like that. But the reality of living mm. as a poor person in Dublin today, you know, raising two kids and 233 euros is, a week. Oh my God, I don't know how people do it. I don't know, know how people do it. They buy shit meat products and they yeah. buy whatever they can get their hands on, sausages and beans. And it's stuff. in survi- survival mode, you yeah. know, and, and that's it. And it's like in those situations that have to buy that meat or whatever, like do what you got to do. Yeah. The way that I look at with like the evolution of success, do what you got to do at that time. If yeah. you have to take a job in a hosting job or if you have to deliver Chinese's or if you yeah. have to work in a cold saw factory, do it. Who care? Drop your ego, drop everything, yeah. leave it at the door, do what you got to do, focus on what makes you happy in life and try to turn that into your full-time job. You know? So the evolution of success will be out when? Testing from next month online. We're releasing online okay. um, through all of our partners. Include me on that. I yeah, that. I will indeed, yeah. Last question for you. What does Matthew Toman say to young Matthew Toman? Chill out. Just uh, like everything. It's not a race. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon, I suppose. Um, I'd probably tell the 16-year-old nothing. There was no, uh, what's the word? Okay, no watch fear, me. Fear. No fear at all, you know. No, so I'm more calculated. But the one that I would just say, like, just don't be so hard on yourself whenever times were crap. Because yeah. I think the people actually are so hard on themselves, whether they're hard on themselves because of what other people think yeah. or hard on themselves because they're like, this is not where I'm supposed to be. Yes, you're exactly where you're meant to be. You need to fucking own it and enjoy where you are, even though it's going to be difficult. And then that's the only way to get out of it. You know, gratitude is something that I have now written on my wall. It says gratitude is the absolute way to bring more into your life. And I've wrote that on my wall since 2010. If you feel grateful, mm. you can't feel sad. You can't feel anger. You can't feel hurt. You can't feel upset. You, there's no other emotion can get in. If you're grateful for everything that's around you and the house that you live in and the people, even if the house that you live in isn't the house that you want to live in in the long run. But if you're grateful that you've got a house right now, it's a good place to start. Jane Matthews, one of the guests on the show, mentioned to me that we only have 30 summers left. That really hit a chord at me. Jesus, don't ever say that to me again. Now, <laughs> I, now, I was now, like, now, now, hold on, listen, she I didn't know. mean it negatively. No, it's brilliant. Basically, we don't think of how many we have until we have 15 left. And the last five are usually shit. So it was literally that yeah. kind of thing that got me to go, okay, I'm never going to go back yeah. to a nine to five. High flute, add wanky. I'm going to explore my creativity and I'm going to go my writing and maybe the podcast. Where there's a whole part in the documentary about changing course, you know, and yeah. don't be afraid to change direction. Your parents will tell you, society will tell you that you have to get a degree in school. Yeah, of course, get a degree, but make sure you get it in the right subject. You've got one life, you know. I, know. I have a really good friend of mine who's a dentist, he hasn't realized that he doesn't want to be a dentist yet, but I see it in him already. Yeah. And at some point... But yeah, it's his journey. And oh, it's his journey, but I, I celebrated with him when he, I mean, when he your passed gra- out. Your, your gratitude thing... So when, when she told me there's 30 summers left, I also clearly just went to myself and said, look, I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I'm not an atheist. Okay? I'm going mm-hmm. to confront that and I'm going to deal with the ideal that there may not be an afterlife and we're only here once, which also helps. Mm-hmm. Your gratitude thing, I, I fill my God-shaped hole with kindness. Mm-hmm. I can be a bit cheeky from some time. I mentioned this in the podcast before, but, you know, going to bed and waking up, was I as kind as I could be yesterday to people? And will I be as kind today? Living by that one word mm. is phenomenal. You yeah. know, I mean, I'm sure the same you're getting with gratitude, you know, but yeah. it's just there, there are ways of filling oh, yeah. the void. 
completely and that that word works with you everybody needs to figure out what theirs is mm. gratitude works works for I me i can see how gratitude would work i think it's yeah, well, it, yeah it's it's like for me it's like my mom said whenever i moved into a new house and my mom said god it's so much better than your your last place isn't it and i said that last place i wrote movies in that house i i created a journal which yeah. which we're now like as a part of the evolution of success there's so much that i've done in that that i'm so grateful for yeah. that you want to it gave me the opportunity to live by myself i'm very grateful for having that apartment i loved it it was brilliant i much prefer where i live now but i mean mm. would i change anything that happened no yeah. nothing not there's a few little things like i might have left ireland two years before i did but there's nothing major yeah i just go yeah like i mean even the shit things that happen to me i go yeah fuck it you they you, you dealt with them you may have not dealt I, with the right way yeah. but you learned something i would have liked to have discovered meditation earlier 10 years earlier right, right. and i was knew about it 10 years earlier I but i've never done tinder it. was around when i was a kid <laughs> yeah, matthew toman the evolution of success coming out soon that was a brilliant ride you're still only a young fellow this can only be part one i'm going to be the podcast around given my 30 summers left for part mm. two it's been an absolute blast uh keep being grateful and yeah. i'll try and keep being kind and we can maybe yeah. lose the world thank you so much thanks john Thank